0: So, hi, Tomas. I think Tomas is pronounced right. Thomas.
1: Well, the Czech pronunciation is Tomas, but uh, I'm fine Tomas. With Tomas.
0: Okay, Tomas. Um, what was your first
1: line of code? My first line of code? Uh, that's a very long time ago. I guess it was basic uh, written on some Atari E800 or something like that.
0: Uh, uh, okay, when was it?
1: Ooh. That had to be right the year nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety or something
0: like oh. that. Oh, okay, a long time ago.
1: And why you did it? I always liked computers, so it was just a way to, you know, know was happening under the hoods.
0: So you also played games, or you just, you know, the first thing you did, you just try to tell the
1: world with Basic. No, the first thing I did was play games, obviously.
0: Okay. <laughs> And then you get bored with games and you started hacking or what was the story behind?
1: Well, I never got bored with games really. Uh, I still play games and I actually just wanted to you know, try stuff. It seemed to me that the computer has to be useful for something else than just playing games. So that was the start of it. Mm-hmm. And then I, for a long time, I did something very different and I came back to programming After the university, basically, when I decided that it's better than doing whatever I studied.
0: Okay. And with the uh, the, the thing with the game, um, uh, with the BASIC, sorry. uh, How you knew how to launch BASIC? Because of the Atari manual or just, you know, your prompt asked you to put something in? So, you know, how you got the idea that you can actually write some code and get executed by the computer?
1: I actually started going to a computer club where... Uh, they taught us, Uh, somebody else told me that that can be done.
0: Okay, and where was the club?
1: That was in Prague, it -hmm. was like a uh, club for kids where most of the people from were from basic schools, and they taught us some you know basics of the basic and uh computing in uh, 1989 1990s.
0: Yeah, amazing, cool, cool story, and um. so, and after writing your first line of code in BASIC, you immediately stopped coding and then wait 20 years and after that, <laughs> <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> no, not really. It's just that uh, I never really dived deep into it. Okay. So, you know, occasionally I played around with computer. Obviously, we we had some computers uh, education at school and uh, at university. So, that was mostly, you know, things like programming in Excel and... Uh, Fox Pro and Pascal and things like that, but never, re- you know, I, I never really wanted to program at that time. So it was just you know, interesting for me. I used it to fix problems I had in my own work, especially around, uh, you know, the Microsoft office around, you know, area where it was very useful to do stuff using programming. But uh, mm-hmm. otherwise, it was just a hobby and not really something I was focused on until I started working. During my university days, where I decided that programming is really—it seems to be the calling of my life.
0: <laughs> oh, really?
1: So, uh, what do you studied? Uh, I studied University of Economics. So ah, I'm actually, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I've studied accounting and finance.
0: So you are basically a manager, right?
1: Yeah, a manager. I could. I could do stuff like that, but I never. I never tried it. Even I never actually started working in that job and i immediately started working in computers
0: but you at least know how to use microsoft project right
1: yes unfortunately
0: (laughs) okay so now i'm curious so you started economics and uh and and then you started coding so i mean how you how you found out that actually coding is fun or or what's this the story behind
1: well it was basically an Accident, almost, I would say. So I was looking for some, you know, part-time job during my studies, and uh, a friend of mine said, "Oh, you know, I'm working for this small company here in Prague, and uh, they are looking for people who, you know, can do computers." And I was like, hey, "I'm, you know, I can do a bit of stuff, but I'm not that good." And I said, "I just go to the interview." So I, I went to the interview, and I realized they don't really care if you understand computers. The, you know, as long as you are willing to learn.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I joined the company, and basically after half a year, I realized I have learned more than in three years in school. So yeah, it was like, yeah, okay, this this is fun. Okay, which, I was. Yeah, which sorry.
0: which language was it back then? Do you remember what you had to do?
1: I actually started in Java. Oh, cool! Uh, it was Java 1.1 at that time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what what uh, you had to do? Well, I started in, you know, like analysts, analyzing requirements and trying to somehow forge them into requirements for programmers. Mm -hmm. And as I started doing that, I ran Java, I started really liking the language and, you know, I slowly moved away from uh, the more abstract work and I started actually learning how to program in it. So it, it was mostly at that time. Well, oh, we were using, uh, you know, Apache HTTP server with Tomcat mm-hmm. and doing some server work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And slowly as the Java ecosystem was building up, we, you know, we were moving to application servers.
0: Mm-hmm. And this was during this uh, university? So this was like a side job?
1: Yes. Cool. It was a mm-hmm. side job that became the main job.
0: And then you quit the university or managed to complete it? Successfully. Well,
1: I managed to at least complete my bachelor's degree, but uh, after that it was too hard. I just couldn't, you know, cope with studying something I didn't want, you know, yeah. plan to do. Yeah. So, uh, I never finished my, uh, uh, what is the second, it's Magister in our language, um, master? MBA, probably. Yeah, the master degree. I never mm-hmm. finished that because, uh, uh, you know, I was working like 16 hours a day and it was, I didn't have the power to actually study yeah. something else.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, what the company did, you remember that? It was like uh, e-commerce or?
1: It was actually a software company, so they were doing software for other companies.
0: Okay, so you more or less consultancy on something like this? So like uh, they they built software for, yeah. Indep- yeah, like
1: a, a bank needed internet banking, so they asked this company ah, okay. to build it for them.
0: And you stick with the company after your university?
1: yes i stayed with them for i think i I was there overall three years Uh, and after that i i actually well it it was interesting because i was sent to uh, abroad to integrate some part of our system that we did to finland and i met you know people from other companies who you know and i became really interested in this whole java enterprise edition stuff and application servers and then I met uh, a guy from BEA, and he kind of liked the way I worked. So he actually, you know, proposed that I would join BEA at the time. And eventually, after like one year of uh, freelancing, I I joined BEA as a consultant.
0: Which which my... year was it? You remember that?
1: <laughs> it was five years before BEA was acquired by Oracle.
0: Okay, because. Uh-huh. What's 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 really surprising and amazing is so uh, you had uh, so you are you are not a computer you know the hardcore computer guy so you st- started studied uh, economics and you really like the enterprise Java stuff so <laughs> this is a uh, uh, surprising because usually I would suspect yeah you hate all the you know enterprise stuff and you would do something like PHP or Visual Basic but uh, no you just you know just somehow you like the server side Java. And, uh, yeah, B B B B A back then was kick-ass, so I uh, also did a lot of stuff <laughs> with BA, so I did uh, really, I started um, as consultant with uh, Tenga, was like the first uh, name of BA, and then mm-hmm. I think five, BA, five, I remember, what I know for sure, six, seven, and eight, so uh, I do, did a lot of work with eight, and I became... Once it was like BA Technical Director, which is somehow kind of Java champions. This is why I'm asking when it was, because I was at the BA World in San Francisco in 2003, I think. And uh, mm-hmm. back, okay. yeah, it was way before Oracle
1: bought BA. Yeah, that, that's definitely at the time I was in BA. Uh, I have, uh, I I'm, will I'm actually, you know, unfortunately, I don't remember my own um CV. So th- this is one thing that you know. When stuff happens, I don't know. I just know what happened before other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I need to check my own uh, LinkedIn. So 2003, I joined BA, and I was there for five years. Okay, uh, until 2005, age when we were acquired by Oracle. Yeah, I started version. I think it was version six, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, went through the whole thing.
0: And BA uh, was really great back then. So I, what I really like it was fast. The admin console was usable, and uh, it was like really productive <laughs> and pragmatic. Yeah, really, no kidding. So uh,
2: yeah, it was it was a
1: small environment, and you could actually like developers liked it because you can, you could easily install it on your on your computer and just use it. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: the WebLogic jar, you know, this was the jar you needed to to accomplish something, and uh, there was even. Is, I think it was called thin client for WebLogic, where you could uh, just ship a smaller jar to your clients in order to yeah, communicate to co- with the server.
1: Yeah, to connect to JNDI and yeah, to send exactly messages over JMS and stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. Uh, and what work you did at BA? So, what was your job?
1: Well, I was in consulting, so uh-huh. I started as uh, basically I was the only consultant in uh, East, Middle East, uh, Middle uh, sorry Central Europe and Eastern Europe. So I had this whole area, Uh, when a consulting job was needed around here, I went there. Okay. And eventually I was building uh, up the ladder or going up the ladder in BA and I ended up in an enterprise architect team. uh, We had like six people managed from UK. Mm -hmm. And there I was until we were acquired by Oracle. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so, so you know the people like Dolores O'Shea and what was the other guys? Forgot the names. Uh, uh, interesting, because I did. Uh, I never worked for BA. I always was, you know, freelancer. But I had to do something with BA because of the larger projects. And what I remember as well, there was like professor in the University of Dresden in Germany, Eastern Germany, and they also did some BA world uh, work. So they invited me. Forgot for what, but uh, we we had a chat, you know, about BA enterprise architecture and stuff like like that. But you were for the Eastern Europe, not for not not for Germany, right?
1: Well, I started uh, in Eastern Europe, but my manager was in Munich, so I traveled quite often to Munich, and I actually did a few jobs in like all all around Europe. And you know, eventually when I moved to the enterprise architectural, then it was the whole Europe.
0: Yeah. And Munich was in the near of uh, Munich. Munich Dream is like uh, right. This was like the headquarters of BA. It was uh, yes. Oh, okay, so I was also a couple of times there. Um, so I have to say again, you know, this is small world. So, um, <laughs> and we probably met even back then. I am pretty sure because uh, I was also around. I remember BA World was in two thousand and four, and I think I started with BA. You know, nineteen ninety eight or whenever it was. Uh, it's a thing i think but uh yeah uh cool and then was uh, acquired by oracle and a lot changed for you or it was basically the same with a uh, different name
1: no it it was actually quite a big change for me because uh you know the structure of oracle is slightly different uh, regarding the regions mm-hmm. uh so this team that i was part of didn't exist anymore and i i moved to a team called ICCC, which was based in Slovakia, and we were really responsible for, uh, Central and Eastern Europe. So somehow mm-hmm. the whole, uh, you know, the rest of Europe basically became unreachable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I worked in the team, uh, and eventually, uh, I didn't want to travel that much anymore because that was really a very travel demanding job, the whole consulting in BEA and then in Oracle. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I I didn't find a different place that would require less travel within Oracle. So I left the company. I worked for other companies for a while and I came back again.
0: Oh, nice. And uh, which companies were they? Can can you mention them or was it just a small... Yeah, it's no
1: problem. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite big. Uh, I worked for a company called AVG, which unfortunately no longer exists. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the antivirus company. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, It was acquired by a, another one in the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. And uh, there I was uh, as a system architect and enterprise architect for a while.
0: And they, they did also job, uh, Java stuff, or was it...
1: Uh, that was interesting. They actually didn't do that much Java at the time I joined the company. Um, they were quite a big Microsoft shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually... As part of the job that we did was uh, building a new system for e-commerce uh, based on Java, and that that was one of the reasons I joined the company.
0: Was WebLogic?
1: Uh no, it wasn't. Uh, it was. It was some cu- custom? Actually, it wasn't an application server. It was some custom-built okay. e-commerce system with its own, you know, architecture. Okay. And servers, so it wasn't really much. And also, we we were, you know, thinking about doing some enterprise service bus stuff but, uh, that never, never came into fruition,
0: which is probably a good thing, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking, looking back, it, it may have been uh, the wrong decision at that time, but it's still, you know, 2013, I think they still could utilize it for a while yeah. before all the architecture changes came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I have quit the job. and. Uh, Joined another company which is uh, called Home Credit, which is uh, doing uh, customer loans.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I spent there three years in in uh, technology architect role, mm-hmm. and this was Java, like you know, WebLogic, Oracle Service Bus, all, all the nice stuff. Mm-hmm. And I must say it was it is an interesting job because this company has uh, is working in ten countries. Uh, so you know it's you learned about all the stuff how to you know have some stuff done centrally some stuff done on the local subsidiaries and uh, the architecture was very interesting there Mm -hmm. And i think that was the first time i actually learned about cloud computing because i i was on oracle code one actually java one at the time Mm -hmm. and that was the part where i started being interested in Things like Spring Boot and uh, you know how how that fits into the new new world and uh, cloud computing and I,
0: why you became interested in, in Spring Plastic. Boot? I'm just curious.
1: Uh, I you know it, it's probably just a chance because I ended up on one presentation of uh, the notoriously famous Starbucks man mm-hmm. and uh, J- Josh Long and yeah. you, you know his presentation skills are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, you know, he, he showed this thing that, you know, he he, he would boot up uh, Eureka to microservices and that all that was done, you know, Java minus JAR and worked quite nicely and quite fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the whole idea, we actually talked about this in the year, like, 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. that it would be really great if you could run each service, like when you talk about service bus or, you know, even at the time it was WebLogic integration, and like you know, it would be so great if we could run each service separately, mm-hmm. if we could scale it separately and at that time there was absolutely no chance to do that, you know, because okay. the, the over, overhead of your application server was so big
2: mm-hmm.
1: that you just couldn't do it. And suddenly I saw, you know, oh, this is what we wanted, you know, this is exactly what we needed 10 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, then... Um... Interesting, because um, I did a lot of uh, application server work, so I did a lot of web logic, but uh, web logic became larger, 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 and then I became no more that interested in that, and uh, then Glassfish was on the horizon, so from uh, Sun Microsystems and then Oracle, and uh, I did a lot of Glassfish work, so Glassfish 1, but then Glassfish 2 mainly. And the interesting part, I don't know whether no, you still know Alexis from uh, uh, MP Pushkin from uh, now it's Google, back then at Sun Microsystems, the Oracle. And at Java one, actually, he uh, showed me Glassfish v3, which was java minus jar, glassfish dot jar. So I, I still have the t shirt, you know, on it. So, like, uh, and I say, why you are you doing this? Because the Glassfish v2. It's uh, so fast, and and I really don't care whether you know the application server starts my app or my app starts the application server. So I mean, this is huge effort and and no added value. And you actually could start the um, GlassFish uh, three uh, from with Java minus jar, but I never did it, and I think really never. Uh, and um, <laughs> and uh, the GlassFish four and now five. Now I switched to Payara, but I still I never used, for instance, Payara Micro, where you can start, you know, with uh, Java, minus Java for me is—I I really didn't care, I never cared—and I say like, this is if there is no no performance benefit and and there there wasn't any. So like the uh, Pyra Micro or Whitefly Swarm, they were just a little bit smaller than the real servers. But I couldn't just go to my clients and say, "Look, if we will uh, no uh, start our application server with Java minus jar, we will save, let's say, ten megs of RAM." They will call me crazy. Like, so what are what are I talking about? I mean, <laughs> uh, right? And then what I remember. There was a conference at, uh, it was in Sweden and uh, in Malmö. And the conference name, I forgot, a really nice conference. And I met, met uh, Jürgen Höller from Spring and he told me uh, they're working on something. I would really like it. And uh, they can, uh, you know, uh, you can boot everything from a jar. And I say, again, the same story. It's like, why? I'm like, why are you doing this? Why? why i really don't care whether I put you know spring with Java minus jar or I launch Tomcat, which puts spring this is just uh so this is why I'm curious why you are so into it because for me i I never got the idea why this fetch jar is has a benefits, and I still don't get the
1: idea like jars. Hmm? I don't like jars actually. <laughs> it's not about FedJars. It's really about uh, single service uh, development and deployment.
3: Yeah,
0: I, I always had it. So, what I found is my blog post, which is, I think, seven years old or something, where I've wrote shared deployment shouldn't be used. So, you have one server, you know, one war, and you have one microservice or so one runtime. And we did it, I think, starting with Java E5 or Java 6 there were all all my applications like this, so we never deployed several wars to a server because it didn't make any sense. If you if you think about this at the beginning of of the hardware, uh, so we had the first the, the, the very expensive uh, Etnks and and all the other servers, and then when you know the shared deployment started, but now the hardware is so cheap and the overhead so low from application server, so it is pointless. So. Um, you're right. So um what we always did, actually always means I think since 2005 or 2006. So we always had, you know, one server, one war, this was our runtime. And um and then whether I started the server with jars or wars, I didn't care. And uh what also killed the whole, you know, of uh, fed jars was the layered um uh layer docker containers because uh what I always like to to have is separation, you know, between between the infrastructure and the and the deployable, and therefore I was not that interested in Helidon. So we will come to Helidon in a second because I thought the Helidon is a fetch jar again, it's like, uh, again the same stuff, you know. But I found out you are actually a Hollow jar, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, the uh, the Fed jars is uh, for me I I still don't get it. What what's appealing with Fed jars? But interesting that that you are hooked to to the to the to the to the idea that you can launch a service. It's a runtime, which I actually always did. The difference is <laughs> probably you had to use uh, WebLogic back then, and I used you know, GlassFish, uh, Whiteflies, and they were probably smaller. So this was the main difference.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's about uh, experience that for me, you know, as you said, WebLogic became quite big, and uh, mm-hmm. at that time, running a separate instance of WebLogic would be, um, like, unusable, you know, considering the amount of memory you need. And, you know, the, the, if you look at the timeline, there was a time when hardware was expensive. Yeah. And then there was a certain period of time when it was quite okay to have to use a lot of hardware. And now it's basically expensive again. And not because the hardware is expensive, but because you, you know, have quite a lot of deployments in the clouds and clouds you pay by, you know, megabytes of memory and the uh, CPU time. Yeah. So suddenly... Hardware is expensive in a very different way than it used to be expensive, but you know, still you need to take care of it.
0: Uh yeah, you're right. But uh the, the question is how, how how expensive is it really? So uh I have two whitefly full. So I mean whitefly full means no micro, nothing, so full servers with ELBs uh running for a client as a proof of concept, and I forgot to deactivate that. So they run all the time on uh EC2. There were two instances. Uh, fully loaded. The question is: Do you do? You, how much did I pay in month for that? <laughs>
1: well, if it, if, it, if it's like a, was it, was it virtual machines? No, it
0: was. Uh, it they ran on the EC2. It was like uh, the uh, Elastic Container not before AKS. So it was not Kubernetes. It was Docker with a private Docker registry and there was Elastic Load Balancer before. So this was that.
1: I would so, guess it was like one one dollar if it
0: wasn't used. It was used, so it was uh, around fifteen dollars uh, a month. Fifteen dollars, so okay, everything. Yeah, 15, so it was fully loaded. So the the point is, uh, no one knows how cheap it actually is. And um, in 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 some of my production projects, so we have like you know four uh, servers in a cluster, so like four runtimes, and um, and and this is really cheap. So I mean, the difference is if you are Netflix and Face or Facebook, you can you cannot do this. But for a business project, it's not like we are running you know, um, uh, hundreds of microservices in production unless uh, you are crazy. But usually you have a few reasonable microservices with you know, dedicated responsibilities. And then it's still extremely cheap, actually. So it is not worth for optimization. So this is my, well, my, my observation, right?
2: I actually
1: would disagree a bit with that because okay. you, are, you are right if you run a few microservices. But there, you know, there are still companies that are big uh and that need to do more stuff than just a few microservices. And if you you know if you need to deploy a hundred, then suddenly, you know, ten dollars per instance becomes much more significant. Uh and we do have customers already that uh are really interested in optimizing, you know, a few megabytes. Yeah. I also have these because they know they know how much it costs. So you are right for the most like for a usual company that needs to have one application on the cloud, uh, it probably doesn't make sense to optimize because you you will spend more money on the optimization than you spend on your actual runtime.
0: Yeah, but uh, what it's not about company; it's usually about department. You know, so a company comprises several departments. They usually don't like each other and don't know each other, and every department has some budget. So this is my experience. So even large companies are structured that way, and uh, if you if you look how much a deployment costs in the cloud, there's just peanuts for a department. Of course, if the company would have you know, a dedicated budget for the for everything, this is a different story, but this is not how the cost structure usually is working. But um, this was just you are we should optimize. But uh for me it's like you know developers are bored with uh, the the old stuff and now they try to optimize to have a you no know, funnier, <laughs> funnier living, and find something to optimize, you know, and then they rewrite the whole application and save five megabytes of RAM, and everyone is happy because the customer believes this, uh, is is uh, they save some money and developer had a you no know, um, exciting life. So, <laughs> so it's just, uh, I just wanted to discuss with you exactly that, and what usually happens for, and uh, surprisingly, I do lots of uh, like the service side enterprise Java for startups. And the startups are surprised how much they can achieve with a single instance of application server. So they say this is incredible how fast the thing is. So they are really uh, amazed. So if I will tell them, you know, we can save another, uh, I don't know, 50 megs of RAM, they say, "You are crazy." No, leave it this way. Never touch a running system. I'm absolutely happy. So this is this is actually my experience. And the um, yeah, but cool. Sorry, it was just uh, I wanted um, to know about. Uh, you made me curious with the Spring Boot on Fed Jars. So you you were at the Java one and and you really like the Spring Boot uh, delivered by Starbucks man is George Long, and yeah. um, what's then what happened then?
1: Well, that that brought me into you know studying studying what what's that all about and uh, you know I learned about basically that most of the stuff that is provided by application server. Uh, doesn't really need to be part of your application or your application server that mm-hmm. the, you you want to have infrastructure services that will do that for you. Mm-hmm. so suddenly if you if you look at it from this you know point of view that you know messaging should be a service. You know, uh, service registry should be a service, and mm-hmm. uh, load balancing is a service, and you know state is a service and suddenly you realize that your application uh, it's just your application. It's just doing your business logic, and it's utilizing all these services that are running in your environment. Mm-hmm. And that means that you can strip away like eighty percent of the functionality of an application server.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can deploy, you know, ten thousand instances, and it still will work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And honestly, this is one thing that I started having problems with application servers, and that's the whole thing of deployment, mm-hmm. and especially. The thing that it requires some kind of centralized way to deploy stuff into uh into your application server uh and that gets distributed somehow you know across your cluster and suddenly you you go to the world where there is docker with you know docker registry that can be pulled from any node mm-hmm. and you have kubernetes that you can just tell it you know like yeah start this uh you know start this application you know create 50 instances of it and create a load balancer. Mm-hmm. so Basically, the application server was deconstructed and decentralized. Yes. And this was an idea that I really liked, because the, the, this means that your application can delegate all these services to the infrastructure.
2: Yeah. And, and then um, I
1: realized that even Spring is just too big. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, the, the funny story is I'm absolutely with you, and it actually started... Um, yeah, 2005, and the reason being is uh, 2005, 2006, we get more and more JavaScript clients. And with the JavaScript clients, the whole IOP and RMI IOP stuff didn't make any sense anymore. So it's because before that, uh, most of our clients were Swing and AWT or JavaFX, and after that, most of the clients were JavaScript clients. So And if you don't have the IOP remoting, the whole clustering is pointless because the JAXRS is stateless. There are no, you know, no HTTP session, so we don't need a clustering of session. We don't need clustering of stateful session beans, and the access to EJBs and CDIs is always local. So uh, we just use EJBs as convenience. We could use just CDI with more annotations, and okay. um, and uh, and this basically was. But the point was, the application servers were smart about that, and uh, they were still small. So and um, and the clustering, I, th- I think. After 2005, I never use clustering again. And um, and uh, you are right with the, what we did with Docker. So the uh, application servers was uh, and still is in most of my projects. It ships in in the base Docker image, and we just ship the WAR, which is tiny, a few K, and this is incredibly fast. So what happens over time? I misused the old deployment uh, application server model to have a kick-ass cloud experience because. Uh, only on new releases of application server, we push the application servers to private registries, and then you know, daily, fifty times a day, or something, we pushed a small wars and 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 Docker did the job for us, and this would be, wouldn't be possible with FedJars. jars. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that's cool. So we had a uh, complete different angles on the same problem, and uh, we had uh, yeah. So therefore, you could argue, you know. Uh, the application server deployment model is 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 that, but uh it worked surprisingly well still in my my projects
1: yeah and like one one objection I have to what you are saying is that uh you know it's great that you use what you are used to use, mm-hmm. but uh, in the end, you are not using eighty percent of the functionality of your application server
0: yes, but if i 'm productive, who cares you know, I'm also not using eighty percent of my operating system i'm just using a tiny part of it, but it 's not like I have to recompile my kernel what. So I had the same discussion with Linux guys, and I was like, why you are using, you know, the bloated CentOS Linux, you could uh, compile your kernel by yourself. It's like, yeah, but I mean if it's still enough and it puts in a few seconds, I really don't care. And this was and the I same I think that's
1: mm-hmm. you have touched the real important point, you know, as long as it is enough. So uh, for the cases when this is sufficient and gives you uh you know the performance you need, it's okay. But there are cases when it's not sufficient and in those cases, you know, you need to look somewhere else.
0: Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. But the the problem with me, I'm just a you know, business consultant and it's always fast enough for me. So I, I really hope that one day, you know, something in Java won't work and I could do a little bit Scala or something else. But the unfortunate, un, unfortunate truth was Java was just good enough. <laughs> I had never opportunity to introduce something else which is reasonable in projects. And the same with servers. But what you said before, I found it recently, and you were absolutely right. So um, what I said is we have application server and one war, and this is one-to-one you know, relation between them. And if this is true, and I did it for 14 years, deployment doesn't make any sense because the whole deployment machinery uh, is superfluous because if you think about that, if there's only one war, you know, why to scan all over and over again the, the directory to find another war? There will be never another war. There will be just one. So there is a static dependency between the application and the server. And uh, I looked, before I looked at Helidon, I looked at Quarkus. And, uh, and I say, uh, what they recognized is they, they just, there is no more deployment. What they, do, they do a lot of work at build time. And then the the runtime, the application server has no capability of redeployment, and there are smaller. And and this is what I get. as okay, this is a, a a true rethinking, you know, because now it works differently. So therefore, I never got the idea of Whitefly Swarm or the others, you know, stuff, because I say, why they are just repackaging the server a different way, and I mean, this is not a true benefit. But if you if you rethink the deployment model and say. We do a lot at build time and then we ship whatever is just needed. So, for me, this is the same deployment model as was before. And now it is a little bit faster than before, which I get, right?
1: Well, we, we do it slightly different, but the, yeah, that's basically the idea. You, you design your environment with the idea that there is a single application. Yeah. And that makes your life much easier. And honestly, it's not just deployment. Uh, another case that is really important is class loading. If you look at application servers, like the one of the biggest problems you would have is class loading issues because you know the server had to do really very complicated stuff to be able to separate uh, class loaders to you know be able to undeploy stuff and redeploy it again. And a lot of bugs are coming out of that. We have absolutely nothing like that. You have the system class loader and that's what you have and you don't need anything else.
0: And uh you're absolutely right in my projects, we didn't use a lot of external dependencies, so the whole class loading thing was basically unused in all my projects, so because yeah we just implemented business logic and we never had external dependencies or rarely had external dependencies, so it was basically unused but uh what's um before we start to uh, to talk about Helidon? so you attended the code one uh or Java one uh session with Josh, and what happened then so you, you started think about on that oracle or what was what what happened i was
1: still i was still in a different company at the time and you know we started thinking how to build and at the time you know everybody was started talking about like oh cloud you know everything has to be in the cloud and i was like oh you know i don't think so i i actually like the idea that you you can still do stuff locally, like you don't need to be in a cloud, I just would like to have this the features of the cloud, you know yes, and that that was what we started you know thinking about in the architecture of that company and uh then, in two thousand sixteen uh, I decided to move forward again, and I was contacted by my friend from Oracle mm-hmm. that you know they may be interested in me joining their team, and when I joined, they were actually. Working on uh, the cloud stuff in Oracle mm-hmm. and there was a project like our project is like the third incarnation uh, okay <laughs> of, of something for the cloud mm-hmm. and uh, it's it had two names before that, and i you know I joined the team. was it the
0: and airport st- and prime?
1: It was, yeah, actually that so it's the fourth. So it was Airport Prime and J4C. And, uh, because J4C unfortunately was not a possible name, uh, yeah. we switched the name to Halidon.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And, uh, you know, I started building, building the security, uh, module of, of the, of the product at the time. And then unfortunately my team decided to leave, uh, and, uh, you know, the product state so i moved to a different team with an oracle and suddenly somebody decided yeah you know this looks like a good idea let's let's work on it was and it dimitri we... who decided and well dimitri Dmitry is my manager so mm-hmm. uh you know it wasn't really on our side this is more about the strategy of oracle okay and at that time they just decided that it makes sense to have something like that with an oracle so we open sourced and started you know Doing it in earnest and uh, properly.
0: And this was 2017, I think, or 2018, or something like this, right?
1: Well, the, like the first release we had was in February this year. So but you know, we, we obviously started earlier, but it took some time to uh, to do the whole open sourcing process. And uh,
0: but I think last I think year at Code One, I saw a presentation about Helidon.
1: Yes, but at that time it wasn't released publicly like there was no uh we weren't on github mm-hmm. and we didn't have a public release at the time
0: okay and uh, you know when the airport started the whole what was when was the first commit of Helidon, or when the idea started you know that
1: around uh, i wasn't at oracle at the time that yeah. the airport and and previous and the prime started so i don't, I don't i'm not really sure uh i know just it's, it's quite a long time ago
0: Oh really? It's interesting. I think that the
1: first commit, first commit in in Helidon is 2016.
0: Okay, this was the Helidon, uh-huh. but the uh, the airport and the old stuff is probably older, right?
1: Well, I'm not sure about airport. I'm like Prime. Actually, there are pieces of code from Prime in Helidon, and I think that's the that's the copyright from 2016 that we, you can find in some of our source code.
0: Okay. <laughs> and and you know when it started? Why? Just for fun, or I mean, this is because uh, to to have something for the for the Oracle Cloud as a, as a as a product.
1: It started as a as a part of our like at, at that time uh, a cloud uh, platform. Okay, um, that was the original idea, and you know there were some changes in management and uh, in strategy at, that, at those times. So you know it kind of lived its own life, never being released mm-hmm. until now. So. You know, I can't really talk that much about the details of the internal decisions, but uh, no, Uh, it was just, uh, you know,
0: not not internal decisions, detail, but uh, more like, you know, the general idea behind. So this is what's interesting. Yeah, the idea
1: was was that it should, we we needed something to be part of our cloud platform and, uh, you know, it's hard to use a third party product for that. So uh, in the end, we, we built Helidon.
0: Yeah, this is what I'm asking. Why, why, why you say, okay, Helidon is nice, but we use Spring Boot. From Starbucks. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I don't know. I, I was talking about a different company at the time. I, I said I was not in Oracle.
0: No, no. But now you could say, okay, uh, uh, you know. Oh, we uh, cannot
1: use. No, we cannot use Spring.
0: Why not? It is Apache license, I think, right? Or MIT or something.
1: I, I, I don't think I can talk about internal decisions in our company. Okay, uh, perfect. This, this is like this is like stuff that, yeah, like yes, theoretically, I'm sure there are cases where Spring Boot is running within Oracle. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, we are a company that builds software and system software, and it would be very unusual if we just decided that we don't want to build this kind of software. Okay. Like, I honestly think we should have something of our own because that's what we do. Uh, And now I'm talking, now this is my, my opinion. I'm not talking about the opinion of the company, but my opinion is that, uh, oracle should never use somebody else's software to run servers like it just doesn't make sense because that would mean that we cannot do it yeah and because it's part of our job like the company is selling servers and system software uh we definitely should have our own and you know work on that
0: yeah there's also uh my opinion was just curious because you know if uh but uh, this is like a more strategic. Not uh, you, you. In theory, you could use uh, Spring Boot, but you, you decided to uh, create your own environment, which uh, probably also makes sense because if you you have lots of WebLogic uh, clients, which are somehow Java or J two E even projects, and they would be are easier to migrate to something like MicroProfile than something completely different, right? This would be also my thinking.
1: Yes, and obviously from business point of view, you want to have continuity yeah exactly yeah
0: perfect so this makes sense um okay so then you joined Helidon. so now uh what did what's your role at the Helidon project so you are the architect
1: yes i'm the architect of the, t- okay. of the project
0: but you started with the security module right so you built some security module was it like a java 8 security module or something completely different so what what what? Did it's it actually
1: do? the same the same security that we have in Helidon right now so it's secure implementation of security within Haliden mm-hmm. so it, it, it is actually it's more like uh, the, the logic security that used to be in version 8 and 9 so mm-hmm. there is like the concept of providers mm-hmm. for each type of security that you can either use the ones that are provided or you can build your own mm-hmm. uh, and uh, You know, it's pluggable, it supports uh, authentication, authorization, auditing, and stuff like that, and uh, outbound security. Mm -hmm. I just made a few design changes to do the stuff that I considered important, like there is a differentiation between security for the user and security of an application or a service client, Mm -hmm. and also that outbound security is automated. So basically what you do, you call your endpoint, And based on the endpoint, security is applied as configured. So, you know, like decoupling your security configuration from your application. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was the the idea at the beginning.
0: Okay. And uh, then you stick with security or were you promoted or what happened with you then after?
1: Well, well, as I said, like the whole whole rest of the team basically left Oracle, uh, And that was the time when we had a few changes in management and they just decided to, uh, to go to a different company. And as the project moved under Dimitri, uh, and I was the only one who had exp- like deep experience with the project, uh, I became, became, you know, responsible for quite a lot around Helidon. And when the new, new team formed and we started working on it, it was kind of out of promotion. <laughs> yeah. <it> just... <laughs> because I, I understood the whole thing, and I could actually tell others how it works and uh, how to go forward.
0: So you are the new architect now at uh, since 2017 or 18 or something like this.
1: Yeah, like one one year, basically since since we were released. Because uh, before that it wasn't Helidon. Right before that we were g 4 c and uh, when we switched name for to Helidon, I was already in in this role. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep somehow the whole direction of, like, the technical direction of the, of the of the solution to, to do what I wanted to do.
0: Okay, so now, what is the I would say unique? How to call it? What is the killer feature of Helidon comparing to others micro stuff framework? So. Uh, why you like Helidon, or what's you know the unique thing? So how how it works? So it's um, what I learned. It is it's not a fat jar, which I really appreciate. It's a hollow jar, which means you separate the infrastructure from the business. so you have yeah. a kind of deployment, right? So which is yeah, we nice. have a
1: Docker. Like the Docker Docker is on our minds from the beginning. Very good. Mm-hmm. So we we try to do stuff in a way that you can do layered Docker's, and uh, you could actually put your whole, you know, actually all your third-party dependencies into a layer and then just put your uh, application jar in a separate layer and start it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the application layer, like you said, would be, you know, five kilobytes and uh, you can just redeploy that and you don't need to redownload your whole environment. Yeah. So definitely that's one one area where we really, you know, a- analyzed how to do that and uh, tried to we We also thought about fed jars, but honestly, there is so there are so many pitfalls with things like having Uber jar or Fedjar jar that it it is not worth the trouble and I'm know, asking the real, you because the the idea, thing is,
0: you 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 have a yeah. deeper background with the fed jars. Do you know any killer feature or use case where fed jars make sense?
1: No. there is one thing that is really good with fed jars you what? take the jar file and you can. Move it anywhere and it works.
0: Yeah, this is this if makes you, sense if you, if you don't have Docker, yeah.
1: right? Bare metal. Yeah. If you like, for our case, uh, we we realized that we like we don't expect people to just you know take a single jar and run it somewhere. We expect people to build Docker, and if you build Docker, you can just copy stuff, right? You exactly. Can copy stuff from your local environment. So exactly. That was the time when we said, oh, it it is not worth the trouble because you know trying to figure out how to ex upload your jar into your local file system and then create a new class loader and start your application. It's so much work.
0: Yeah, this is, um, I think, uh, Docker zero six four. I remember. This was the first or before that. I, I use it on my server. So I had my own server and I started with Docker. And the reason why I use Docker is because of backups, not even, you know, some because if you have Docker... I could, uh, you know, uh, build the images somewhere else, and if I get new hardware, I just ship the dockers, and uh, this was the docker images, and this was way easier for me. And uh, I remember, it was probably six, seven years ago, I joined the, uh, I was joined, I attended the DevOps conferences, and there were people with the FedJars Jars frameworks, and I asked them, you know, why you're doing the FedJars, Jars? And uh, and I never got the right answer, except one. They say we started before Docker was our thing, and uh, if you ship on bare metal, then it makes absolute sense what what I get but uh, I have to say, so bare metal deployment are really rare, so I would say uh, uh, in my would say in my life not existing, so whatever we do is some kind of container, so Kubernetes or Docker, and therefore the jar thing is for me completely pointless because it's even worse, you know also f- our view k are changing. You have to rebuild the whole thing. So it's from the conceptual perspective, it's even worse than the applications ever were before. From from my perspective,
1: and there is another problem, and that's native image and GraalVM, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you run, if you want to be compilable into native image,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you cannot do you know hardcore stuff with class loaders, mm-hmm. because that just will not work. Yeah. You know, you cannot depend on having something on the file system like a jar file because that just doesn't exist. So l- luckily for us, uh, the, the architecture we have chosen is actually a very good fit for, uh, for native image because we don't care about it. We just let the system class do its stuff and it just works. So yeah, there are other, other things that where it's actually beneficial for us.
0: Yeah, very good. So, you, so you so you support the how to call it hollow jar or layered deployment out of the box, right? Yes. And uh, if kill,
1: kill, sorry, yeah,
0: go ahead. On if you if I create, let's say, hello world uh, S app with microprofile, will I get two jars, one with my uh, business logic and the other one with infrastructure, or a couple of jars like modules?
1: It's mo- it's modules like uh, Helidon is very uh, modularized, so. Basically, each feature is its own jar file, and the main reason for that is we want to support minimalistic deployments.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you can you can basically either only use the dependencies that you need, or you mm-hmm. can use like MicroProfile three. zero and mm-hmm. exclude the hell out of it, mm-hmm. and end up with a very small thing. So you will get a lot of jars.
0: <laughs> but if as usability feature, it would be nice to have uh, a switch where I can create you know, two jars. One infrastructure jar for my layer deployment, because this is what I put to Docker as easier. And the other one, you know, like my uh, business logic, this would be a nice plugin or something like this. I thought about that.
1: Well, w- what we do is that when you build an application, like if you, if you use our quick starts, then we basically prepare this for you. So when you build it, you will get a libs directory in your target, which mm-hmm. contains all the dependencies that you need, except mm-hmm. for your application jar. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, in the target, you get your application jar. So, if you build your Docker images, mm-hmm. you already have two places, uh, one for the dependencies and one for your application. Yeah, this so, is cool.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, and again, packaging in a single jar file is a very dangerous thing, especially in the CDI world. No, in two jars. Consider your... Consider, jars. But if you have yeah, but if you have beans XML in any of your dependencies, yeah, you're right. It it, it would end up in your in your Uber jar of dependencies. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You would scan everything.
0: Yeah, and you have clashes of packages. You are right. So there are more more yeah. problems than this. Yeah, yeah, this can happen.
1: But like clashes of packages. You should that should be less and less because of the module, modularization of Java, mm-hmm. and quite a lot of the dependencies are cleaning up their um you know their package structure. To make sure that it works in modularized Java, mm-hmm. but still, we we actually had that problem that somebody did a fat jar, and then complained that you know it doesn't work because one bean was created twice. Yeah, that's that's the problem.
0: So get it. And uh, <laughs> could I create with Helidon and command line client that command line app? So you know, not a service or rather than would it be easy. Like passing or command line arguments, and not as a server, like rather than CLI.
1: Uh, you know, Helden is not really a CLI tool, so there there is no library that we will give you to build a CLI CLI no. application. And you know, the question would be like, what feature of Helden do you expect to utilize then?
0: I mean, uh, because,
1: probably VM no. compilation. <laughs> because um, okay because i'm actually uh, doing that sometimes yes
0: (laughs) yeah because i have why i'm asking i have a lots of uh, scripts and java tools i've wrote over time there are command line clients and uh yeah i also wrote them by myself and uh i already looked you know at uh quarkus and it would be doable so the only thing which i'm missing is that the um the arguments from from main uh class are not uh Past. So, what I would expect if you, the only expectation would be, you know, if I have some uh, command line arguments, there will appear as a, let's say, environment entry system properties or something else. So, they will be accessible at least or injectable. And then I would be happy because uh, I could do some stuff and then quit, you know. Or uh, I could, uh, for instance, give you two concrete examples. The one I use in a tool called so I generate JSON tokens. For uh, for system tests for for microprofile JWT, and I thought about you know to use Quarkus or Helidon or whatever because uh, I read the configuration with JSONB. B uh, started with JSONP P and JSONB, B. So those parts of microprofile I would y- like to use also microprofile configuration. Why not? But uh, not Jacks the There would be no service part. It's just you know it starts generates something and and and, and gets killed. You
1: know. Everything is possible. Uh, in the end, you can actually use Growl native image on its own. You don't need... Yeah, yeah, I know it. Uh, I know you it. You know, but yeah. or Quarkers for that. Uh, by the way, if you need to generate a token or call something, uh, Helidon actually has uh, an outbound security support for JWT, so we can also generate tokens. Oh, cool. <laughs> but the... You know you can do, you can do whatever you want as as Haliden is started from your own main class uh, we don't generate a main class you actually write it yourself uh you know then you can,
0: okay then it's different okay
1: <laughs> yeah you can basically do whatever you want yeah this was the so java
0: can, yeah of course yeah I forgot you have the java s e mode right so with the java s e mode I'm golden with the uh, micro well, yeah mm-hmm.
1: actually even with micro profile like for for micro profile mode of Helidon, uh you can either. Just run our main method. Like it's not generated still. It's it's just you know io MicroProfile dot main that you start and that will start the whole thing. Or you can again you can create your own main method and just start it yourself. So uh, from this point of view, you can do whatever you want with our dependencies. And you know, I think that w- Dimitri always shows it at the beginning of his presentation. Like Helidon is a set of libraries, and we try to keep it as much as possible that way. Mm -hmm. that we provide libraries that you can use so we are not building a server we give you libraries okay one of those libraries is called server but uh, that's just because you need to serve your content somewhere but you could run haliden without a server you could run haliden with just you know uh, you can use grpc or in the future you could just use the you know messaging features that we are planning to add Mm-hmm. So from this point of view, we are just libraries. So you can use any of those libraries for anything else if you decide to do so, you know, just edit as a dependency.
0: Yeah, uh, I forgot about the Java C part. So what, what I did, I, I used your quick starter and uh, played, played around with Helidon, and it it, it uh, looks already, I would say, uh, usable and consistent. I didn't have to bother, you know, with the main method, so therefore I forgot that you could actually do it. But you are absolutely right in the Java SE variant I knew is possible with MicroProfile. I assumed uh, you generate a bootstrap for me, but uh, I could use my own main methods, which would solve my problem entirely because if I have the hook, I don't need any support. So, um, yeah, nice. So, yeah, uh, already solved problem. So this is interesting. So we have uh, what's also unique in Helidon is you can go the Java SE route and create your own HTTP server and everything from scratch. And this is I think how Helidon started, right? To have a Java use Java SE as a micro service platform, right?
1: Yes, that's correct. Uh micro profile was added later.
0: Yeah. And this is unique, I think, is one of the few uh, frameworks which are doing this. This and uh uh what I like about this approach is of course this is even leaner than something outside Java SE. But the the the, the downside is there are lots of your own Programming libraries or code called APIs, you have to to learn and understand. Also, they are look lean. They look like Node for me a little bit. Or this is very lean programming model. It's not like you need to know XML interfaces and factories. It's more like <laughs> a builder pattern, I would say, with nice DSL. This is how it looks to me.
1: Yeah, we are actually inspired by like by Express. We uh, that's where how we started. We we looked at other frameworks in basically any language and. Mm-hmm. We were looking like, how, what is the best approach to build a simple web application? And, uh, you know, the express from Node in the Node world looked like a very good fit. And we just, you know, tried to replicate the experience in Java uh, with a, I think, with a decent amount of success uh, in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the thing that it's uh, new APIs is, it is kind of unfortunate but there is just no way how to use an existing API because of the reactive nature.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh one thing we didn't want to do, we didn't want to drag in uh into the API a reactive stream uh dependency. Mm-hmm. Because we want to leave that choice to uh to the users. Yeah. So we tried to like the whole API of Holy is based on the standard Java interfaces with mm-hmm. one unfortunate exception which is the flow api which doesn't exist in java 8 mm-hmm. and because we have to be java 8 compliant uh, we just needed to copy that into our own packages but the you know the api is copied verbatim so it's exactly the same api just in different packages so if you want to use a project reactor or anything it's quite easy to uh, to map it to our api
0: because they are you are based on the standard java 9 flow api right
1: we are not. That's what I was just saying. Unfortunately, no. we are not Java nine. But you are uh, copied. Are you
0: told me you copied the dependencies. so this is. It looks like Java yeah. nine, but it isn't, right?
1: Exactly. You cannot. You cannot use the Java package. Ah, okay. In your so application, you... yeah. So you, you need to copy it to a different package, and unfor- that's that's like the unfortunate thing that there is no backporting in Java.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so...
0: but uh, I will have to rename the packages, but then it will work.
1: Yeah, and and you know. The, when you look at integration libraries between the Flow API and the Project Reactor and RxJava and so on, uh, it's actually quite simple. Uh, mm-hmm. So, dropping the Helidon Flow API with the Java 9 Flow API is not a huge complication.
0: No, I think this is just one class, right? It's called, uh, where you have to provide. So, it is uh, fairly simple, actually. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so, great. So, um and uh, would it be possible, let's say, to use the Java SE Helidon flavor and combine it, let's say, with JPA, just for fun? So, this should be possible. You can just boot the entity manager in Helidon as a, as a dependency and then use it, combine it with Express like routing style, right?
1: Well, th- that's what I said. Like, you can do anything because it's just libraries. Yeah. And obviously, if you can start your Hibernate or Eclipse Link in yeah. Java SE, then you can use it from Helidon. There yeah. is one thing you need to be careful about and, and really, really careful about uh, we are using uh, the event loop of Netty to serve requests, mm-hmm. and there is one rule that you need to <laughs> need to you know adhere to never block, never block the threat yes yeah. uh-huh. and this is complicated if you want to use some of these libraries like JPI because they are all yeah. blocking yeah. Like all these things are blocking, so you always will end up with some approach that will say, Oh, I need to create an executor service here. And everything that's happening has to be running within that executor service.
0: So it is like callback based style, more or less?
1: Uh, If you want, (laughs) you can call it callback based style. But what I do, I actually have an example, I think somewhere, and we do it also for Jersey. So you just submit to the executor. And obviously,
3: You get future back?
1: Well, we are not using the future, so I'm actually doing that after this, like the last thing of the callable or executable will uh, complete uh, the response.
0: Okay, so Do you you're doing now? like a completable future, then, 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 and then you are done, right? Then apply and then whatever. So this would be the... Yes. Okay. Okay, this is what I also do with uh, JAX-RES actually in my stock Java E application. So what what I can do is you know suspended async response, combine it with completable future, inject the executor service, and then I'm done. So
1: basically, yeah. Have- the, the, the problem with Jersey is that uh, even the um, or in general with anything that is asynchronous in Java EE and mostly in Java SE as well in libraries, it's not reactive. Uh, yeah, these things are still using their executor services that are somewhere blocking, but you just don't see it. Yes. So even in these cases, you just need to use your, you know, a custom executor service to make sure that you disconnect the threads of the Netty event loop from the threads of your application.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, could you could you start multiple event loops loops with Netty? So let's say I start five, or is it unusual, or is it impossible?
1: Uh, it's. Well, it will not work properly. Uh, you know, for example, with Netty, we, we did some performance tests and our original default was that we started the event loop with the number of threads equal uh, to twice the number of CPUs on your machine. Mm-hmm. And after the performance test, we actually reduced the number of threads to be exactly the same as the number of CPUs and the performance increased. And the problem is that as soon as you start playing around with the Netty event loop, you will decrease performance. Okay. So it's it's really optimized the way it is, mm-hmm. and uh, if you start blocking threads or you know trying to increase them to handle something like this, uh, your server will stop working correctly. So you should really like in in this case you just cannot do it. You you really should do what we do mm-hmm. uh, with the event loops. You can use multiple event loops. You can have multiple ports. You can have you know. Even look for a client and even look for a server, but uh, in general, uh, you this is something you have to be very careful around.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Uh, and the uh, microprofile programming style is more like traditional. So I don't. Um, so with Java SE is more um, asynchronous and uh, reactive, and microprofile I could do traditional JAX-RS service. What I saw, right? So I don't have to yes. care about it. that. Mm-hmm.
1: You don't have to care about threats in micro profile. Uh, nevertheless, it's the same as in an application server. So there is somewhere hidden, uh, you know, thread pool or executor service that is taking care of your application. So, yeah, if you if you block too much, you will run out of threats. You will you will be in trouble. But that's something we all know from application servers.
0: Could I combine both in one app? No, right? Yes. But, uh, yeah, I could start with Java in the, next, and
1: then... ver- mm-hmm. in the next version. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are now, uh, I have actually a PR ready with uh, reactive services in microprofile. Hey, cool. And you'll uh, so we'll be able to just create a service annotated with application scoped, and that will be your reactive service running within the microprofile environment.
0: And other way around, could I start with uh, Java SE, uh, how to call it, uh, endpoint? The, the, how to call it the A, you know, the express-like uh, endpoint?
1: Routing, we call and, it r- routing,
0: yeah. Yeah, routing and then uh, get to a class with injected, let's say, CDI bean or something. Would this work? N- no. Okay. So this well, is. It, like... it,
1: it could work, but you would have to replicate the work we have done for, for Helidon MP. Yeah. Because in the end, Helidon MP is sitting on top of Helidon SE, so it's using the same libraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is quite a lot of stuff that needs to be done to make this work. So, you know, you could do it, but you would need to do all the stuff that we do.
0: It's actually really interesting. And and what's about Graal VM integration? So can I just you know c- compile both to native image or how how does
1: work? Not yet.
0: <laughs> and and what so can, Java SE or something or
3: you, you
1: can on? compile Java SE. You can compile the Helidon SE application. Mm-hmm. There are obviously some limitations. Not all the libraries that we provide. Yeah, can of be Compiled into native image, but uh, yeah, if you take the quick start for example, uh, you can just compile it into native image and it will work. And how does this uh, work?
0: Maven native compiler? What what, what do you, I have to do to achieve that? Uh,
1: Maven clean package minus p native image.
0: Oh, cool. Okay.
1: Well, and you just need to have it. In, obviously, you need to have native image installed on your server, on your computer. Yeah, sure. And provide one uh, environment variable. But it's oh, actually, if you create your quick start, there is a readme file, and there, is, mm-hmm. there are exact steps how to do that.
0: Yeah, I need so you probably gralvm home installed in the GralVm uh, yeah, download native it the...
1: image. Yeah, exactly. And we uh, actually need to download the native image compiler from GraalVM because it's no longer part of the installation.
0: Mm-hmm. And could I get uh, commercial support for in one point of time? So I can go to Oracle and say, hey, I will really buy no support for everything. So would this be possible or know it?
1: Okay, let me just finish with the MP and native image and then I will answer this question if okay, it's okay. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So, mm-hmm. For the MP, we are working on support right now. It looked quite impossible at the beginning, but now we are actually uh, getting there. So in Helidon 2.0, we will have support for native image compilation of MicroProfile, but obviously the li- number of limitations will be slightly higher in MicroProfile environment. Mm-hmm. But we should be th- we should get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now to the commercial support. I'm sure this is more a question to Dimitri than to me. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I try to be the Dilbert of the team, not the pointy hair, but, uh, <laughs> uh, we do plan that there is like a Oracle has committed to providing commercial support for Helidon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the beginning, it will be possible for existing customers of WebLogic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the future, it may Change and I don't know the details of that, but no, definitely no, just... mm-hmm. there is commercial support possible. Uh, also, because we are a new project and uh, we want people to use our software, uh, we provide, uh, I would call it extended open source support. So uh, we have a Slack channel that if somebody wants to use Holodon and, you know, discuss something, ask questions, we can add them to the Slack channel and directly our team uh, is answering questions there. So you, can, you have like direct communication points to developers for the time being, because we are still, you know, we still have the time to, uh, to take care of that. Obviously, if we, uh, once we have the proper um, organization that will that will take care of support, this will slightly shift, but for the time being, uh, there is direct support from developers of, of them.
0: Yeah this is why I'm asking about the commercial support because uh, so I'm consultant and my clients ask me you know what's about support and 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 what happens and I usually sometimes I give you know uh, two two possibilities or I suggest two things like if you are running with the latest let's say latest software and you test it all the time and provide feedback to developers the you know the the chances are very high that your problem get fixed because uh, if you know say okay I found this error and you are running you know the latest software but if you are running uh, not the latest software, no old stuff, no one will fix your problem because no one is interested to in branching, fixing, and so forth. So then you need probably commercial support. And then I'm asking whether it's in principle available. And this is actually uh, great news. So if it's becoming available for WebLogic uh, clients, I think at the beginning is good enough and then see what happens, right?
1: Yeah, like a uh, big safe harbor statement around me right now. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, even if you have commercial support, most most of the time they will just tell you to use the latest version. So,
0: <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, uh, it is, it is just reasonable. You know, no one is interested in branching old stuff, understanding what happened three years ago. So, that the easiest possible thing is to to use the recent version. This is how it should be.
1: Yeah, we we definitely have some uh, already some ideas how we will handle that in Helidon, and. Even we all like when we uh, talked about it within the team, we will still have, you know, uh, even for the paying customers, the support would be you need to use the latest version within that version branch. So yeah. if you have if you use version one, you just need to stay on top of version one, and then with, well, once we start with version two, again you will need to stay on top of version two. So we, we don't really plan to branch off dot releases. But yeah. we definitely expect people to, to, to stay for a longer time within a major release.
0: What I think makes sense, because in the microservice world, you know, you don't have one server with different applications on it. So you can very easy, so, I mean, the runtime and the applications is one one thing, so you can easier upgrade, right?
1: Exactly. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we decided to do so, that, uh, you know, you can just take one, one microservice and, you know, upgrade one instance, make sure that everything works. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And you you don't really need you know you you don't have fifty microservices depending on your deployment. You have just mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So that, that's definitely a good cause to to handle it this way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so helidon to zero with another uh, safe harbor statement when it could become potentially available. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You see, uh, maybe I will describe what we need to do, and then then you will see how how, uh, much work we have ahead of us. Okay. uh, First thing we want to get rid rid of is the dependency on project reactor, which is currently in our config uh, module. Mm -hmm. And that means we need to refactor the whole way we do change support and uh, meta configuration of config. So that's one one big thing we need to change. Second is the uh, native image support for micro-profile, which means basically refactoring all CDI extensions that we have to make sure that they work, you know, nicely with, especially with configuration, because one thing that is really complicated with the ahead of time compilation is that when you do something ahead of time, you get the configuration at the time of compilation. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you get a second config- configuration in the runtime and you need to make sure that all the configurable resources in your application are using the runtime config, not the compile time. Mm-hmm. So that's also quite a, you know, interesting problem that we need to solve. Uh, we have it solved partially, but uh, there's definitely some work to be done and then we will need to get rid of all the deprecated stuff and one of the deprecated stuff uh, is actually microprofile so uh microprofile is interesting set of standards or specifications on the other hand it's behaving um, how to say it it's a bit volatile mm-hmm. so there are a lot of backward incompatible changes And uh, some of them are done in a way that is just impossible to have both of them at the same time in the same repository. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And for example, metrics, uh, you know, we had to do really a complicated thing to be able to run metrics one and metrics two at the same time within the same project. Mm -hmm. And we need to get rid of that. Mm So with version 2.0 we will have just the latest versions of all the specs and remove everything else
2: yeah which i think is reasonable
1: yeah having said that you know i cannot say any any specific time we plan like our current high level target let's say is beginning of next year Mm -hmm. but uh
0: yeah it should be later it could be later
1: Exactly. Like there, there are so many uh, variables in in this that I really cannot promise anything. No, with, no. Just, just a safe harbor statement. Yeah. We we plan to do it. Uh, you know, one of the thing, one of the reasons I'm actually saying anything at all is that we have people who say, oh, we want, we need the latest version of Open Tracing, for example. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Open Tracing is also recording incompatible, mm-hmm. and I don't want people to you know sit there waiting uh, for the release to two. zero It's not going to happen that soon.
0: Except you know we have uh, Christmas, and there are lots of the listeners from the podcast. They could now join forces and just you know deliver 2.0 without you. And then after vacations you come back and you, everything will work, right? This can happen in open that source. That would world.
1: be great. Like if you if you actually go and you know prepare the pull requests for us. Uh, yeah, th- that would be great.
0: Yeah, definitely. That is, this can happen. So,
1: <laughs> open
0: source. So, uh, it was great to talk with you, to chat with you. So I learned a lot about Helidon. So where people can find you on the internet, Helidon. Oh, by the way, I just forgot to mention. Um, I saw Helidon. Uh, I think was code one. Last year, the very first time. And uh, I just joined the session because I like the name, Helidon. It, it it sounded to me something like Helidon, and I uh, forgot the, the session. I think it was also delivered by Dimitri. I, I don't remember. And uh, I saw, you know, the Helidon website, and it looked amazing. And and then I said, wait, is this by Oracle? It's like, what happens by Oracle? Is this is <laughs> like, you know, Is it a startup. What? And, and I couldn't get that, you know. Something like this can actually happen at Oracle. I would expect, expect, uh, expect, you know, something like ESB-like structure with SOAP requests and a terrible website, but it looked actually perfect. And this was my first impression. I get, got immediately curious, but um, I saw the very first time, you know, the Java SE programming models. Okay, for me and my clients are less interesting because we have lots of Java stuff going on and... Uh, and uh, uh just to relearn this completely is uh is not that interesting, but then the micro profile kick in say, like, okay, then then is really interesting because now it doesn't matter, you know this is very similar to Java e, so you can migrate back and forth and uh yeah, this is uh the feedback so uh, the the website looks great, and the t- tutorials the quick starts uh this is another website uh, this is really well structured, looks nice, lots of content. So kudos to whoever is doing this, so this is looks really good.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was one of the things that we wanted to release with documentation that is helpful. Yeah. We are trying to improve it all the time. Obviously, it, mm-hmm. there are always, you know, problems, but we are, that, that, you know, it's quite a big part of what we do. It's not just programming. It's also making sure that we deliver documentation. And luckily for us, we had a lot of help within Oracle uh, from other teams. And, you know, when you have somebody from another team looking at it, uh, you, you know, you get a lot of good feedback on where to improve stuff Mm -hmm. and yeah we we, 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 this was our intention that we didn't want to be red and uh, white right we we Mm -hmm. wanted to have somehow that you know new new life is coming into this company that we can actually deliver software that is cool yeah and (laughs) we are happy it happened yeah
0: yeah uh, I guess so this is like I think now uh, now the stuff at Google will be look a little bit more boring
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's life, right? You know, yeah. Legacy, everything becomes legacy after a certain amount of time. I have yeah. heard people saying that Spring is legacy software now. So, you know, I, I'm sure that this is just the way the world works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, the, where, where to find us? So, first, uh, there is the Holidon project uh, website that you we talked about is the holidon.io. Mm-hmm. Then we have the GitHub repository, which is github.com slash oracle slash Holidon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, then we have Twitter. Uh, you can find us there as Helidon, And if you... Uh, you can also contact us. Uh, we have a Slack channel. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find links to everything either on our GitHub pages or uh, in the Helidon.io page.
0: And your Twitter handle, and we also, Tomasz?
1: Sorry? My your Twitter tweet... handle is... Oh, that's an interesting question. Huh. You, you see, I, have, I need external memory. I'm, I'm not... Um, um, I don't hold stuff in my mind, unfortunately. Very good. I kind of think it's it's uh, at Tomasz-Langer. Where, where can I find that? Come on.
0: But Tomasz-Langer is your name, so the people can find you. And uh, it's... Uh... Yeah, the,
1: the, I'm I'm sure I'm... Uh...
0: So your GitHub oh is God. Tomasz-Langer.
1: Dash-Langer, yeah. That's this is correct. your
0: GitHub uh, account?
1: Do you have a blog? That's my... Yeah, okay, that's my GitHub. And then I have uh, Twitter is at Langer underscore Thomas.
2: Langen, and there is
1: no H. H. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is no H in my name. Okay. Tomáš without not... H. Mm-hmm. E- exactly.
2: Cool.
0: So thank you. It was a really nice chat. And uh, yeah, see after vacations whether my listeners will fix Holidon to run on <laughs> GraalVM. Then we can have another conversation what happened Christmas, right?
1: All right. Thank you very much for the invitation. So right. thank
3: you. Bye. Goodbye.